worship team. Great job. Amen. Praise the Lord. They did great. They had two call in sick this morning, two call in with no voice. So, praise the Lord. Great job, and uh, what a privilege we have to worship the Lord today. Last week, we, we looked at a message dealing with living in transitional moments. And I'm going to tell you today, we need God to reign and rule in our life, but it's a hard moment for us, a huge transitional moment, when we decide who's going to reign, who's going to reign, who's going to be on the throne of our life and in charge of what we're doing. And uh, I want to share with you a message this morning, if you have your Bible, if you'll turn it to two places. The first place will be 1 Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel chapter 8, and then if you will turn with me to the book of Luke, Luke chapter 16, uh, and I'll look at a passage, of, I mean Luke 15, I'm sorry, Luke 15, transitional moments, last week we looked at transitional moments in our personal life and how they completely change the course and the direction for many people. The decisions we make have so much impact in our life. And God has such a great work that he's trying to do in our life. And we looked at that transitional moment in the life of Adam and Eve when they had to decide, will we do what God's word says or will we do what the world says? And we looked at that pivotal moment and how, you know, that in their transitional moment, God demonstrated his love in this way. And I was just thinking about that scripture this week. I was uh, sharing with someone late at night this week and was talking about where they were and where they had been and what God was doing in their, their life. And I said, you know, one of the main things I want you to remember this is that God demonstrated his love. God demonstrated his love. Say that with me. God demonstrated his love. One more time. God demonstrated his love. Not that he just wrote us a note, but he demonstrated it. What does that mean? He fleshed it out. He fleshed it out. There's a big difference in telling someone to do something or telling someone you're going to do something and then demonstrating, demonstrating it, fleshing it out, making a difference. We looked at transitional moments in your personal life, and, and I believe uh, I've just been, I'll be honest, I've really been struggling trying to put my whole mind around and heart around this transitional concept. We're in big transitional moments as a faith family as God begins to take us to a new level of ministry next year with the things God's calling us to um, and what God is trying to do in our hearts and lives. It's, it's a transitional moment for us as a church. The thing about transitional moments is they're never made with easy decisions. I'm going to say that again. A transitional moment is never made with an easy decision because you're at the crossroad. You have to decide which way will I go, which way will I transition to, which direction will my life go, and how will I follow in his footsteps. There was a transitional moment in our country. We talked about that a little bit last week with the whole presidential election. We talked about that it wasn't just electing a president, but it was selecting a direction for the country and 
one one candidate said this and one candidate said this and I mean it's 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 not um, uh, a hidden fact that there were two different directions. We talked about how in the middle of the two different directions that our our country was divided uh, equally almost or right down the middle, and uh, how we we're living in a transitional moment as a country. But you know something. It's it, this isn't the first transitional moment for this country. This country began with a transitional moment. And that's the season that we're celebrating right now, Thanksgiving. Do you know why we celebrate Thanksgiving? To celebrate the victory in a transitional moment. I mean, there was a transitional moment in another country. And the religion began to be so oppressed and, and suppressed by the king. And they were saying, you, you have to pray my prayers. You have to do religion the way I say to do it. And there was this group of believers and they were sold out radicals to Jesus Christ. And they were like, we just don't believe that the king are to stand between me and Jesus. And they said, you know what, we're going we're gonna to find ourselves, we're going to move. Or as a radical thought, we're going to move so that we can have freedom of religion. Not freedom from religion. A freedom of religion. And I'll tell you, this. It, and, and they went and they moved to this country called Holland. And boy, it was good. They could pray. They could read their Bible. They could worship their God. They could do what they wanted in their faith life. The only problem was Holland didn't become liberal in the 20th century. It's been liberal. And what began to happen was they were praying and they were reading their Bible, but they began to look and the influence from the Holland people was so great that it was overwhelming the spiritual influence that they were putting in their children's lives. And they began, I mean, they were trying to teach the Bible, they were trying to read their Bible. But yet when their children would go out in the world, they would come back and all they wanted to do was what the world was doing. Because the world was having a bigger impact than their faith life was. And those group of people got together and they said, guys, this isn't what we left our country for. We, 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 we left our native land to deliver our children to a freedom in Christ, not a freedom from Christ. I'll say that again. He just kind of went out there and fell flat. They said, we, we left our country, our homeland, to deliver our children into a life that experiences the freedom in Christ, not the freedom from Christ. And, and, and so, man, they said, we got to do something. And they said, man, you know, there was, there was this talk about this big mass of land somewhere across the ocean that this dude, Christopher Columbus, found, and, you know, uh, Maybe, maybe we, I bet there's not many people there from what, what they knew about it. And they said, why don't we go over there? And so, man, they, they got together and they, they boarded this ship. And they spent months on this boat crossing the ocean. 
One of my favorite commercials, I'm going to digress for a minute, though. That new, I think it's Geico commercial where it says, how happy are you? Happier than Christopher Columbus with speedboats? <laughs> they didn't have a speedboat, my brothers and sisters in Christ. They had something called sails, and they prayed that the wind would blow. If the wind blow, they move quickly. If it didn't blow, they move very slowly. And so they were navigating their whole families across this body of water that they had never crossed before. Why in the world would they do that? Because they were looking for a place that they could raise a family in the freedom of Christ. The freedom of Christ. And man, they went and they finally made it. And oh my gosh, they got here in December and everything was frozen over. Snow was everywhere. And there was a hundred of them that got off of that boat. And by the end of the winter, there was only 55 left alive. They were dying, man. Half of them died. They didn't even get through the... Couldn't you say, man, what are we thinking? What are we doing? What, where, could, what did we get ourselves into? That's where ignorance on fire meets the ice block. And they met this Indian at the end of the winter, and he began to show them how to raise crops. And, man, things began to look up. Things began to turn around. And after their crops began to come in, they all got together with these Indian people they met, and they all began to celebrate what we call Thanksgiving. And for over 200 years, Thanksgiving happened many times a year. It happened on various days, various times through the year. One colony would celebrate at this time. The other colony would celebrate at this time. And it just began to happen. And then after they were, they were going to move into states, and one state would do it here, and one state would do it there, and all these things just began to happen, man. And there was pockets of thanksgiving and radical celebration points of thanksgiving popping up everywhere, all around the country. Why? Because they had something to give thanks to God about. They had found a place that they could worship Jesus Christ with all their heart, with all all their mind, with all their soul, with all their strength, and with all their spirit. And now we look around this country that's so divided, and that was our beginning. Our beginning, regardless of what liberal professors tell you today, was a group of hot-hearted saints of God that said, we just want to find us a place somewhere. Now, I know a lot of you radicals are probably looking for a place now. But I'm telling you, they were looking for a place somewhere and they could pitch their tent and say, it's for me and my house, we will serve the Lord and may, and, 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 and may God bless us tremendously. And he continued to do that. It wasn't until the year of 1863, in the middle of a transitional moment, that Abraham Lincoln declared the day that we celebrate Thanksgiving, to be a national holiday. So from one transitional moment to another transitional moment to another transitional moment to another transitional moment, life is filled with transitional moments. But the transitional life in a country is always affected by the transitional life of the people and what they are infected by. I'll say that again over here to this side of the room. A transitional life in a country is always fulfilled and directed by what the people of the country are infected by. 
and God is trying to do a work in our life. Now, are you ready for your scripture? All right. You don't have to worry about the roast burning. We're here at church today. We've got plenty of food. Amen? All right. Here we go. First Samuel. A transitional moment in the life of a people. Boy, I've been struggling with this. Transitional life in the moment of a people. God loved Israel. Israel was in bondage. He brought them out of bondage under the dictatorship of a king who was killing their babies, afflicting their babies. All the baby boys, he would kill them, would get rid of them. They were slaves to the Pharaoh of Egypt. And God brought them out. He heard their cry. And for, for a long time, for hundreds of years, the only leader that Israel had was God. They lived in what we call a theocracy. And God would appoint prophets. That's what the Old Testament's about. It's about prophets who would rise up. And the prophet would go to the people of God and say, here's what God wants you to do. And then they would do it. They would follow it. They would obey it. Sometimes they'd be knuckleheads. And they wouldn't obey it. And they'd go off a, a tomcatting around. They'd get themselves in trouble. And then God would bring them back home, normally with some consequences and some difficulties in their life, and he'd put his arm around them, bring them back, and then they'd go off again, they'd do good for a while, and they'd be, oh my goodness, oh my goodness, and then he'd come back, he'd go off, and then he'd bring them back around. It was just this whole big dance. We'll do good for a little while, we'll do bad for a little while, and God will throw his blanket of love around us. Sounds familiar? Now look at this right here. In chapter 8 of 1 Samuel, it says, When Samuel grew old, he appointed his sons as judges over Israel. Samuel was a prophet. His firstborn son was Joel. His second was Abihai. And these guys were judges. However, look at verse 3. However, his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned toward, here it is, dishonest gain. They took bribes and perverted justice. Sound familiar? Moving right along. Verse 4. So all the elders of Israel gathered together and went to Samuel. And they said to him, Look, Samuel, you're old. You know you're old when a committee comes and tells you you're old. I asked Chrissy, how old are you if a group of people come and are selected to tell you you're old? She said, well, it depends on if they want to get rid of you or not. They may make you older than you really are. Samuel was old. I mean, this group of people came and said, dude, you're old. Look, there has to be a change in a guard. You're old, and your sons do not follow your example. Therefore, appoint a king. To judge us. The same as all the other nations. Here's your key phrase that you want to underline. Circle. Highlight. Put a star by it. So we can be like all the other nations. All the other nations. And so here in in the book it goes on and says verse 6. When they said give us a king. Samuel considered their demand a sinful. So he was broken hearted. Sound familiar? He was broken hearted by what the people were wanting. And he said, here's what he said. He was broken hearted and he went and told the Lord. He prayed to the Lord. But the Lord told him. The Lord told him. 
Samuel, you may want to underline this. Listen to the people. Listen to the people and everything they say to you. They've not rejected you. They've rejected me as their king. They are doing the same thing to you that they've done to me since the day I brought them out of Egypt until this day. They abandoning me and worshiping other gods. Look at verse 9. Here's the key. Listen to them, but you must solemnly warn them and tell them what the king's going to do to them. Verse 10. Samuel told them the Lord's words. And here's what the Lord's words were. Samuel says, these are the rights of a king who will rule over you. He can take your sons and put them in his chariots, put them on his horses, running them in front of his chariots. Verse 12, he can appoint them for use as commanders of thousands or groups. He can appoint them to reap and harvest. He can appoint them to make weapons for war, equipment, chariots. He can take your daughters and make them perfumers and cooks and bakers. And he can take your best fields and your vineyards and your, your olive orchards and give them to his servants. He can take a tenth of your grain and your vineyards and give them to the officials as his servants. He can take your male servants and your female servants and your best young men and your donkeys and he can use them for his work. He can take a tenth of your flocks he can, and you yourself and become your servants. And when the day comes, you will cry out because the king you have chosen yourselves. But the Lord will not answer you on the day. And the people refused to listen to Samuel. And they said, no, we must have a king. Then we will be like all the other nations. Do you know why the world hates America? even though the America has done more to liberate countries than any other nation? Because we're different. We were different. We live by different sets of principles. America never had a problem fighting wars. America always had a problem winning wars, winning well. They didn't have a problem winning the victory but they didn't know what to do with it after they won it. Because the world has never known a group of people to spend time, energy, talent, and lives and, and, and win a, a landmass, win over the victory of a country, and then turn around and say, now we don't want your country, it's your country, and then try to go home. But what the world has known as conquerors, we talked about last week the, the great conqueror, who, who uh, Napoleon, who said, I want to conquer the world. His goal was to conquer the world. Alexandria the Great, his goal was to conquer the world. And what they would do is they would go in and they would fight in these countries and they would try to conquer the world. And as they were trying to conquer the world, once they conquered the people, it would become part of that nation. Are you with me? And America was so different because the world was not used to people who was willing to conquer a nation, conquer a group of people, but yet not take it. Not take it. I remember whenever the, we first one that went in and overthrew Saddam Hussein, you remember they, uh, the first thing that the soldiers did was they would raise the flag. It's to sim be a symbol of victory. And, and I remember President Bush said, take the flag down. And immediately they took it down. We're not occupiers. We don't want their country. We just want them to have liberty. And what America has done for years has been to personify the, the life of Christ. Christ just wants to liberate us, set us free. 
And what, what's happening in our hearts and lives is this. In this passage of Scripture, a couple of things. Number one, we see their desire. What was their desire? It was a transitional moment in these people's lives. I mean, they had lived under a theocracy. They had a king. The king was Jesus. The king was God. He was the ruler, the provider, the sustainer for them. And all of a sudden they said, we have a desire to no longer be different. We don't want to be different. We want to be like the rest of the world. We want to be like the rest of the world. Well, listen, Israel was the apple of God's eye because they were not like the rest of the world. God had a special purpose. God had a special plan for them. And they had this great desire. They said, Samuel, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel, we have a desire to be like the world. You know what thrusts us into transitional moments? Desire. Desire. Desire to be no longer satisfied with what we have, but a desire to leave everything that we have and chase after something that is in many cases unattainable. Why did these, why did these uh, pilgrims leave their homeland? Why did they go to Holland? Why did they board a ship to cross an ocean that they had never traveled across before to go to a landmass they knew nothing about? Why in the world would they do it? Because they had a desire to be able to worship God and love God with all their heart, with all their soul, with all their mind, with all their strength, and with all their spirit. And for many cases, that was the condition in America. America was founded upon godly principles. America was a country that was abandoned to God. And it doesn't mean that America's always done right, but there's been times in, in times past in our American history that God has sent spiritual revivals. He sent spiritual awakenings to our country, to our homeland, and an outpouring of God's spirit because there was a heart's desire for God. And what he says here with this passage of scripture is the children of Israel, they had a desire, and the desire was to be like the rest of the world. The desire was to be like the rest of the world. Something else happened in this passage of scripture. There was a demand. Their desire led to a demand. It, they demanded something. They demanded Samuel get them a king. And Samuel's like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't have a king. We can't have a king. We can't have a king. And boy, Samuel goes to God, and he's like, God, 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 do you know what they're doing? God, they want a king. You're the king. Boy, don't you know God rocks Samuel's world. I mean, he's praying intensely, bending the ear of God, bending the heart of God. God says, yeah, I heard them. Give them what they want. Now, can I just say, Sometimes the worst thing that can happen to us is when God gives us what we want. When parents give us what we want. When we get what we want and we're not ready for it, that normally equals a tragedy. There's a New Testament example of this. There was this guy that went to his dad. I guess he thought he was old. He said, Dad, you're old. You're getting older. Why don't you go ahead and give me my half, my share of inheritance. Give it to me. Luke 15. He says, give it to me. Give it to me. So dad says, okay. Here, this is yours. 
Gave him his inheritance. Not many days after that, he says, I believe I'm going to go on a field trip. He field tripped his way out of the father's safety, away from the father's house, went to a foreign country, attached himself to foreign people, and wasted everything that the father had given him. When you're not ready to receive it, it never works out well. That son had the audacity to go up in Papa's house and say, give me what's mine. Now, you know, as long as the dad was living, it really wasn't his. It was really the dad's as long as he was alive. See, that's the way wills work. But we read later on in that passage of scripture, that same son, when he came to his senses, went back and he said, which of my father's servants doesn't have bread to eat? Roof over his head, clothes on his back, shoes on his feet. He said, I I know what I'll do. I'll go home and I'll tell my father, I've made a mess of things. You know, Dad, I'm not even worthy to be your son, but can I just come now and be your servant? Would you make me? The word he uses is make me a servant. Make me a servant. Make me a servant. So his first command, he had, the son had two commands. Give me, make me. Give me, make me. Now why in the world would the father ever meet the demand of the son? i tell you why. Maybe because that father had spent his whole life raising that son and he knew that the best thing he could do was give him a dose of reality. And for a father who was dying, he wasn't really interested in things. So maybe if he gave his son what he asked for, gave his son what he asked for, and was willing, what the father, the father was willing, it wasn't about the things, church. If the father was willing willing to give them up, it really wasn't about the things. I I have this good concept. I, I think it's a pretty cool concept. It's called give while you live. Number one, why in the world do you want to leave all that stuff to your son-in-laws and daughter-in-laws and for them to spend up all your stuff and you not even get to see it? You might as well give while you live and at least you can enjoy their lives being blessed by it. I digress for a moment, but I'll come back here. Maybe he had that concept. I'm just going to give while I live. And so he gave it to his son. And his son squandered it all. And I tell you something, sometimes the father knows that meeting our demands may not be what's best for us on the surface. But a father is not concerned about the surface, he's concerned about the heart and the heart of the child. The heart of the child. Can I say it again? The heart of the child. A true father doesn't care about surface items. He cares about the heart of the child. And many times what the father has to do is give us what we want because what we want we can't handle. And when we get a hold of what we want that we can't handle, it gives us a good dose of reality. And it puts us coming running home to the Father saying, Oh, Father, I've made a mess of things. 
and there's the father. Ronald Reagan's known for many things. Many great statements. That dude had more great quotes than anybody I've read about lately. But most people don't know about this quote. One day he was sitting at his dinner table with his son, Michael Reagan. And they were discussing his son, Ronnie Reagan. As you know, he has two sons. One's strongly conservative and one is devoutly liberal. And Ronnie is devoutly liberal. And this didn't just happen in these days of latter, latter years. Ronnie's been liberal the whole time. And so Michael and President Reagan are having this conversation about Ronnie. Not only is Ronnie a liberal, but Ronnie was an atheist. And so finally they're going back and forth and they're, they're sitting there at this table. And all of a sudden, President Reagan reaches across the table and grabs Michael's hand. And he says, Michael, you don't get it. I don't care about Ronnie's politics. I care about Ronnie's heart. I want Ronnie to be where I am. I care about Ronnie's soul. I don't care if he's a liberal, Michael. I don't, I don't care if he's on the other team politically. I care about his heart. A true father cares about the heart of a child. And so we see in this passage of Scripture that the father gave the prodigal what he asked for. But the father was there ready to receive him. We see in the passage of Scripture in 1 Samuel that God gave them what they wanted. And it took a long time. But you know what? After they had a king and all of a sudden one day God went to that king and, and, and saw that he became their new king and he withdrew the anointing, took away the anointing. And then, I mean, Israel had a king and they had a good king and they had a bad king. They had a bad king and a bad king and they had a good king. And a bad king and a bad king and a bad king and they had a good king. And it was just whole cycle. But you know what? The father was always there. He was always there to stretch his arm out. He was always there waiting for Israel to come back home. Even in the New Testament, Jesus Christ went up on the Mount of Olives and he looked down at Jerusalem. He said, oh, Jerusalem, 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 how I'd love to gather you like a mother hen would gather her chicks under her wings. Today, God scattered Israel all around the world. He gave them their desires. He met their demands. He met their demands. And they were scattered all around the world. And God said that he was going to bring them back. And God brought the children of Israel back. And after World War II, he brought them back. Israel became a nation. And this whole concept of what God was doing in their life, he's still, he's still in the process. And he, met their, he heard their desires. He met their demands. But it was his decision. It was his decision. It was God that gave him a king. It was the father and the prodigal that met the demands. It was his decision. It was his decision. It was his decision. 
as a parent, we try to spend our whole life protecting our children from things that will harm them. But sometimes, church, as a parent, you have to pull your hands back and say, okay, I'm going to give you the right to fail. And sometimes, most of the time, failure is our best friend. Because it'll put us to come running home when nothing else will. We're living in transi a transitional moment as a nation. But we're only in a transitional moment as a nation because we're in transitional moments as people. If we were not a, in a transitional moment as people, we would not be in a transitional moment as a nation. And I tell you what, I tell you what we need more than anything is for us to turn our hearts towards home. Turn our hearts towards home. Turn our hearts towards God's word. And say, Lord, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to follow your word. I'm going to obey your commandment. I don't care what party's in power. I don't care what flag I live under. I want to live under you. Be my king. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. The Father loves you. God demonstrated His love towards us that while we were dysfunctional, while we were broken, while our life was in shambles, while we were yet sinners, Christ Jesus died for the ungodly. That's a living hope. And I was in my first church, <clears throat> the Nora traffic circle was still here, and they were building this overpass, new overpass for the interstate. And you may remember back in the day, the, the traffic was really messed up in this area, and you, you had to, sometimes there was a certain moment that you had to go down underneath a bridge and turn and come back when they was taking the traffic circle out and all that, and I remember one day I, I had went, had come off MacArthur Drive, went down and was at the stop sign down here. It was there at the time and was turning. And there was this young lady in her early, mid-20s. And she was sitting in the dirt by a stop sign. And I rolled down my window. And uh, I motioned for her to want to tell her something. And boy, man, when she got up, she lit into me like nobody's business. I guess she thought I was a cop. And uh, she started telling me, I'm not breaking the law. There's nothing you can do to me. I can sit here if I want to. I, I said, okay. I, I, you can sit there as long as you want. It's okay with me. And I reached in my pocket and I pulled out a little card that said Living Hope. And I said, I just want to give you this today. And in big letters it said, God demonstrated his love towards us. While we were yet sinners, he died for us. She was dusty, had on some overalls, and her face had dust, dirt all over it. And I gave her that card, put it in her hand, and she began to just weep. Her tears began to wash away white streaks, clean white streaks on her face. 
Holy Spirit began to speak to her heart and her life. I prayed for her and drove off. I don't ever know what happened to that young lady, but I know this, that one day she found out how much Jesus loves her. And I want you to know today that God demonstrated his love towards you. That we are what makes a difference in the life of a country. We are the country. We are the church. And a country makes transitions when the people make transitions. I'm not asking you to gather up your family and move to some desolate island. Although some of you may be thinking about that. I'm not asking you to uh, renounce your citizenship. I'm just asking you to turn your heart towards home. Because you have a father that loves you. You have a father who will reach across the table and grab you by the hand and say, I don't care about your politics. I care about your heart. And maybe today, you need to throw your hands in the air and say, this world is not my home. This is not where I belong. Take this old world. Just give me Jesus. Just give me Jesus. With your head bowed today. Thanksgiving. We celebrate Thanksgiving because we celebrate the transition. How about you? Is God, does God have you in a moment of transition? Is He transitioning your heart? Is He transitioning your life? This altar is open today. I'm going to pray. You come. Let's do business with the Lord. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for who you are. Thank you, God, for being the king of our heart and the Lord of our life. And God, for all you do, we just say thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As you stand to your feet, this altar is open. Won't you come? Maybe you want to come thank the Lord. Maybe you want to come give your heart to the Lord. Maybe you want to, I don't know what it is today God's speaking to your heart. But this altar's open. Won't you come? Let's do business with the Lord today. The Father is speaking to you. Won't you come? Won't you come? Let the Holy Spirit touch your heart and life. Turn your heart. Turn your heart. Has God given you what you asked for? And now you don't know what to do with it? You told Samuel, give them what they asked for. They won't give it to them. Don't worry, Samuel. They didn't reject you. It's all about me. Won't you come today? Won't you come?
what will God do with a handful of people that's willing to turn their hearts towards him? And say, Lord, it's not about my agenda. It's not about my church. It's about your kingdom. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God will rock our world. There's no telling what God will do. Father, we are so desperate for you. Lord, we do need you. We need you to reach down, grab our hearts. Lord, we need you to turn our hearts towards home. God, we need a miracle in our homes. We need a miracle in our, our town, our city. We need a miracle in our nation. Father, our country is spiraling downward, out of control. God, it's bigger than any person. It's bigger than any party. But God, it's not bigger than you. You formed this great nation out of nothing. And God, nothing is too difficult for you. Thank you for the privilege of worship today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, it's been great to be here today. I want you to uh, jot this down for me, if you will. Uh, this is uh, Pastor Marco's email address. Uh, if you don't mind, if you want to just shoot him an email and let him know you're part of his church family back here in the uh, States, and uh, you'll be praying for him. It is the letter CSC Peru, the country Peru, at gmail.com. CSC Peru, the country, at gmail.com. Let him know you're going to be praying for him this week as he goes through the difficulty of uh, losing losing his mom so well it's been great to be here today i want you to stay have our thanksgiving dinner with us this is special we uh for thanksgiving we're, we're a church that's always on the move we're always on the go we're we're always doing for others and for thanksgiving we always have someone bring the meal to us and uh cater the meal for us and so 
I want you to stay. Please, we have plenty. Stay and, and fellowship with us and have a great time for our Thanksgiving meal as we give thanks today to the Lord and for what he's doing in our hearts, in our lives. Amen? All right. You got something you want to say, my brother? All right. Good deal. Yeah, boy, it's been good to be in the house of the Lord today. You know, so much happens, not just in the sanctuary, but right beyond those wooden doors out there. So much is happening. Um, if you are a teenager or the parent of a teenager, uh, see me after church right here real briefly. I'm not going to cut into the meal time, uh, but we're just going to talk about a few things. Our Wednesday night services are really growing. We had 39 kids again here this last Wednesday night. And um, these kids are connecting around the world. Uh, they're growing in their faith. Um, we were able to pray for and and uh, send a special gift to Brother Mike and take it to the hospital. And then, then he shows up here this morning. It's just a wonderful thing to be a part of. So if, if you guys would just take a few minutes. If, if you're not familiar with what we're doing, I'll just kind of tell you what's going on. And um, maybe it's something you want to get involved in. Amen. I, I forgot something. Uh, Tyron is trying to make him some extra money for the holidays. And so he's going to be cleaning up vehicles here. When are you going to do it, brother? Friday and Saturday. So if you need your vehicle clean, he's going to be here at the church cleaning vehicles, trying to make him some money for the holidays. So if you need a clean vehicle, help him out to go see his daughter in, down south Louisiana. She in south Louisiana? Arizona. Woo. Right. So Amen. bring all your vehicles. Yeah. <laughs> All right, good deal. Friday and Saturday, come, come see our brother there. All right, let's, bl let's bless it. Father, we thank you for this food, dear Jesus. Thank you for providing it for us. Lord, 